big news last couple of days is the market crash, especially Bitcoin. I don't dabble in any of the shit coins, so I don't even know what's going on with them. I assume it's even worse. A couple of thoughts just from my perspective. And again, I am uh, I'm a very mediocre investor. I uh, have my beliefs and I have my convictions, but I'm not the guy that you want to turn to for investment advice. But I feel totally relaxed. I have done a little stacking as the price has gone down. I don't know that this is the bottom as I'm recording this. It's 22,249. I don't think it dipped below 22,000, but but it could. You know, I, I have no idea the short-term direction. I'm still very bullish. I don't really see another alternative. I don't see anywhere else to put the money. Um, and so um, I just think it's a matter of time. As Warren Buffett said, in the short term, the market's a voting machine. In the long term, it's a weighing machine. And there's only one monetary instrument that is the supplies on a fixed schedule. It can't be debased. It actually works to be sent across the world. Uh, it's relatively secure from arbitrary government seizure. And that's Bitcoin. So I'm all the reasons I liked it before, I still like it. Uh, maybe even more in some ways because as we get into volatility and we get into choppy times, uh, there may be some serious rug pulls. I'm not talking about Luna or Celsius or some of these scams. I'm talking about bank accounts or the yen, big stuff, worldwide stuff. There, there could be some rug pulls. And people just think, oh, this can't happen. You know, and I talked about this last week with respect to eroding your rights, things like lockdowns and vaccine mandates and mask mandates. And people think, oh, that's, that's just a, an anomaly. You know, we know that all these hysterias pass in our prosperous Western societies in which we live and which we've always lived. But I invoked that Bertrand Russell inductive reasoning point where it's a flaw to say, well, so far, so good. You know, you jump out the Empire State Building, you count the windows as you go down, you get to 80, you say, so far, so good. And that means, oh, nothing bad's going to happen, but we know you're going to hit the ground. And actually, it's a perfect analogy for fiat currencies because they're good until they're not. And every fiat currency historically has failed. Every time the sovereign or the government or whoever's in power can arbitrarily increase the money supply, that currency has failed. So it is just like jumping off the Empire State Building. Every time you jump off a tall building, you hit the ground. It doesn't matter how many windows you count. Everybody has died pretty much, barring a miracle, no matter if you're 80 for 80 or not. And you know, just because in the last 50 years, we've been able to survive uh, and even prosper with this fiat currency experiment, it has never happened before. It's kind of like gravity. It's just that it's just slower. You know, you don't hit the ground within 30 seconds. You hit the ground within, I don't know, 50, 60 years. And we're 50 years in, 51 years into this experiment. And we're probably going to hit the ground. I mean, who knows? I could be wrong. I don't, I don't have a crystal ball, but it's just, it's kind of like gravity's physics. And when you print indefinite sums of money, it's almost like a law of physics. You know, economics isn't quite as hard as physics. But there are some things that you cannot get around. You can't get around the fact that the wealth of a country is its productive capacity, its energy, its food, its technology. And printing money doesn't increase productive capacity. And therefore, if you print money indefinitely with a fixed productive capacity, you're going to collapse the money and things are going to get very, very expensive. And the opposite is the case with Bitcoin, where you have a fixed supply of money, the money deflates the money holds a lot of value and things get cheaper relative to the money so you got to decide which scenario you prefer but it will not necessarily be a smooth tr transition 
And again, I don't know what this looks like, right? I don't know if Bitcoin goes down and gets cut in half again. It could. I, I really don't want to be the guy telling you where the short-term movements are going to happen because if you look at the Weimar Republic and the price of gold, it was all over the place. It got crushed. It went way up. It went way down again. And eventually, it was the only thing with any value. You know, The uh, Deutsche Marks were, were worthless. People were carrying around wheelbarrows of them to buy food. And the people who invested in gold got very rich. So, but it wasn't linear. It wasn't just like they bought the gold and it just went up, up, up. It was up and down depending on these uh, seismic shifts. And I do think I, I heard this on a podcast and uh, one of our listeners, uh, Andrew Matney, recommended this podcast. I should look up the name of it because it's pretty good. And it gave me some ideas. And one of the things is there could be some deflation. Well, there is some deflation now with the inflation. It's, I guess they call it stagflation. It's called part of the problem, the future of the economy, part one with Clint Russell Guy Swan. And I don't know if I heard it in there actually, but I think I did. But the thesis was that as Fed raises rates just a little bit and uh, stocks start going down and people who are leveraged, they can't, they can't pay. They have to sell stocks to cover and they can't pay their bills. And then whoever they owe that money to then doesn't get the income that they were counting on. And then they're short and then they have creditors that they don't pay. And this thing cascades throughout the economy. And so just a little interest rate raise when people are super leveraged can cause a cascade effect. And we already see it. They've barely raised rates and the, the market has crashed. Not just, not just Bitcoin. I mean, the S&P is down 30% since November. And remember, the S&P is down 30%, but that's not a real market, right? Because in 2020, when the S&P crashed 9, 10% a couple of days, they stopped trading. And then the Fed bailed them out. And so people think, oh, the Fed's going to bail them out or they might bail them out. So there's, there's like a sense that like, oh, well, the S&P, I'm going to hold on to my stocks because if it gets too ugly, the Fed will put money in and then they're going to skyrocket back up, which may or may not happen, but it may. And the fact that people, but whether or not it happens, people believe it'll happen. So because the S&P and the stock markets are not real markets, that it's just, you know, buyers and sellers and real price discovery, they're propped up psychologically. So that 30%, right? That's just, that's not really where it would go if people were like, who knows if the Fed is going to bail them out. If, if they lost faith in it, that may go down, who knows, right? So you think, oh, well, yeah, I, I wish, dumb to be in Bitcoin, it's gone down 65% or whatever from the peak and the S&P is only half of that, 30%. But Again, the S&P is only, it's been, you know, it, it's been backstopped and that's probably what's holding down the real floor for it. And if people lose faith in that, it will go much lower. And even if they don't lose faith and even if it doesn't go much lower, you know, it's not worth that. It's only worth that with the Fed put and if the Fed put exists then there's going to be massive inflation. And then you're going to want to be in the fastest horse, which I think is Bitcoin. You know, inflation is going to send Bitcoin skyrocketing. So that's the real market. It's a real market. And when it, when people need liquidity, and got to get out, it gets sold. And there's nobody, I mean, there's people like me stacking, you know, at lower uh, levels, but there's no government force with, you know, ridiculous amounts of liquidity backing it up. It's going to drop to as low as it drops. And you got to be prepared for that because it's not like the fake markets where the Fed steps in. So again, I'm very bullish. My advice is just my opinion. Uh, I could be wrong. I feel very strongly about the first principles of it, about the, the basis for why it exists. I don't know if you guys can hear Oscar, but he's barking because Heather left. So, and nothing has changed on that front. So I feel good about it, but you know, do your own research. I, you know, I've certainly been wrong before about many different things and I am not good at market timing. So don't listen to me 
as to when to, uh, to get in. I, I tend to feather in as the price goes down and go a little bit bigger as it goes down more. But again, you know, it's, I mean, it's great to buy it at 22 grand and then if it goes up to 50 grand, but it's even better to wait till it goes down to 15 grand to buy even more with the same amount of money, but maybe it won't go to 15 grand. So maybe it'll go to five grand. I mean, literally anything could happen. I don't, I don't want to say what can and can happen in this insanely volatile liquidity crunch that could get worse. So just uh, very interesting times and, you know, size your, your buys uh, somewhat responsibly. I mean, real man wouldn't, real man would just, you know, go all in on a shit coin, but a person who actually cares about surviving uh, this downturn and this transition into the fourth turning or whatever you want to want to call it, the, uh, the end of the global debt bubble, the everything bubble, probably have some cash. Don't be totally in just because short term, nobody knows. So that's my take on that. And that basically I'm not sweating it very much. I don't know how much else I have to say. There's a bunch of stuff I've been working on and looking at, but I actually deleted a podcast from yesterday where I talked about some pieces I was working on. Cause then I tried to work on them today. I was like, Oh shit. I talked about them in the podcast. Now I got to write these things back up what I was saying. And then I was writing them and I was like, I'm not feeling it. Maybe I'll feel it later. Maybe I'll, sometimes I just like have a piece that's half done and a month later I come back and just like, Oh, that's it. That's what I needed to say. So who knows? But I sort of jumped the gun on those. So I just deleted the podcast. So one other thing that I, I do want to say is Ted Bell who was on this podcast a couple months ago, just did a podcast, the Arch Independent Podcast, and he just recorded one called Episode 6, Tea Time for Transparency. I thought it was really excellent. Uh, he goes over the Pfizer documents in detail in a way that I don't know if anyone has. And he really breaks down sort of the fraud involved and what the studies were and what they weren't. And I don't agree with him on everything. I think he was a little bit too even-handed for my taste, to be honest. I, I don't think... You can compare the people seizing on the reports of all these adverse effects or these random deaths in young people. And then, and, and he's right that like they're concluding this is a vaccine. Everybody's like, oh, he died at 25. He's a vaccine, vaccine. It's always a vaccine. I mean, they don't have proof of that. But I would disagree that when abnormal all cause mortality is huge and the insurance companies and the funeral homes and everybody else is reporting it, and you have these anecdotes, that doesn't mean everyone is that, but it, it definitely is pretty likely that something new that started in 2021 is causing this. And that's the obvious suspect. And there's sad, sudden uh, adult death syndrome now, which they just invented to describe that. And so, I you know, anyway, it's a tiny quibble, but, you know, maybe he's right and I'm wrong. I mean, you know, this, this is his, he's being very sober minded about the data and not trying to jump to any sort of conclusion, which I respect. And it's just such a, a good deep dive into what those documents say and how the process unfolded. And as I said, probably too even-handed for me, but so what, you know, and maybe he's right. I'm wrong. Maybe it's good for me to consider that. And, and I should, you know, and everybody should consider um, every rational viewpoint of a person who, and, and I, I think this is the, the key and why his podcast is good is that Ted Bell is trying to get the facts to the truth. He is a human. He's going to be wrong about some things, but he is earnestly, in my opinion, as far as I can tell, trying to get the truth out. And if a person who's smart and uh, has experience diving into documents and articulate, that's something I think that people should uh, should heed. Babe, I'm I'm doing my podcast.
Yeah, I think I'm okay with it. Just just tell her to be careful with the with the streets and stuff. Okay. All right, all right, bye, bye. He does a great job with it. Very listenable. Highly recommend it. I, and it's also one of those things. I send it to Heather sometimes because Heather's, she's kind of like me at this point because I've sort of, most of the shit that we've talked about, like it's turned out that what I was saying was mostly true. She's come around, but she's just inherently skeptical of everything. And I often, I'll send her Ted Bell's podcast or the one I did with him because it, it plays well for people who know something's wrong, um, aren't sure what the deal is, haven't looked into it don't want some sort of, certainly no one wants like a partisan take, uh, but even like a very ideological take or committed to, you know, this is good, this is bad. He just really lays out the facts and he does it in a very uh, disarming way. Recommend it. That's it. It's going to be a uh, short pod this time, but uh, till next time.